0: Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stats, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are joined by Julie Otsuka, author of When the Emperor Was Divine, The Buddha in the Attic. And The Swimmers, which is her newest novel about a group of obsessed recreational swimmers and what happens to them when a crack appears at the bottom of their local indoor pool. This book is easily one of the best novels I have read since starting The Stacks in 2018. Julie and I are so careful today not to spoil any part of this book. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation on craft, artistic medium, and the pleasure in community. Then I hope you'll go and buy yourself a copy of The Swimmers. You deserve it. Remember, this is National Poetry Month. The Stacks Book Club pick for April is Doppelgang Banger by Courtney Lamar Charleston, which we will discuss on Wednesday, April 27th with Nate Marshall. And a quick reminder, every single thing we talk about on this episode and every episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love The Stacks and want more of it, please consider joining The Stacks Pack, our exclusive community for all you book lovers out there. We have an awesome Discord chat community, monthly virtual book club conversations, and monthly bonus episodes. Plus you get discounts on merch and shout outs on the show and a lot more. Not to mention that The Stacks is an entirely independent podcast. So if you like what you hear and you want to be a part of making sure this show airs every single Wednesday, head to patreon.com slash Stacks to join. All right, here it is. A huge thank you to some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Elizabeth Rogers, Caroline M. Bergeron, Lynn Morseri, Marissa Seguen, Linda Harmon, Angela, Christina Bowman, Kristen Rogers, Tess Matamor, and Melissa Allen. Thank you all so much. And thank you to every single person who is a part of the Stacks Pack. Okay, okay, okay. I'm so excited. Now it's time for my conversation with Julie Otsuka. All right, everyone, I am beyond thrilled today for my guest. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I have been raving about this book since the moment I finished, actually, since the moment I finished the first chapter, let me be honest. Uh, The book is called The Swimmers. Our guest is author Julie Otsuka. Julie, welcome to The Stacks. Thank you so much, Tracy. Okay, I am not a huge fan of fiction, but Julie, this book blew me away. I was texting everyone I knew. You absolutely immediately must pick out this book. I already told you in advance, but for everyone listening, we are going to do our darndest not to spoil a single thing in this book. So in 30 seconds or so, Julie, can you tell us about the book?
1: It begins in an underground pool. Um, It's a group of recreational swimmers who've been going there for many, many years And it explains kind of what happens when a crack appears at the bottom of the pool. And I think that's all I really need to say. (laughs) I think so too.
0: That's basically how I've been describing it. I'm like, it's about swimmers. There's a crack in the pool. Don't read anything about the book. Just pick it up and enjoy. So this is obviously a tall task because there's so much I want to talk to you about that is later in the book, but we're just going to have to have another conversation, you and I, one day. Um, But okay, the first thing I want to start with, because this is the first thing that took me just... I just was like so taken by this book from the first page because of the voice you use. In the first few chapters, you're using, I think, and please don't tell my English teachers I don't know the answer, but I think it's first-person plural.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So you're using first-person plural. Tell me about that choice. Why did that feel right for you? For people who don't know what that means, it's sort of like the a we voice, like we do this and us and, and that kind of vibe. That's what I
1: call it um, too, the we voice. Okay. Okay. Um <laughs> I actually, my last novel, "The Buddha in the Attic," was written entirely in the first person plural. Um, so I, so I, I really kind of fell in love with that voice. But it, it was about a very different topic: Japanese picture brides who came to this country in the early 1900s. And I wanted to write something set in contemporary times. And I had sketched out a few just scenes set in this underground pool many, many years ago before I'd finished you know, before I'd finished my last novel. Mm. And I just love. The We Voice, because it's very capacious, it allows me, the writer, to really kind of paint a very panoramic picture of what is going on with a group of people. Um, And I like, I think I like world building Mm. and communities. I'm very interested in groups and what happens. And I didn't initially want to follow any one particular character. I was really just very interested in describing the whole kind of meta world of the pool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just loved it. I don't know that I've read something in that voice, maybe any any book in that voice, maybe ever, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. And then in the book, it shifts again. And this is where I don't I don't know what it is. It's the you voice. So what is that? Second person? Uh yes. Mm-hmm. So how, how and why did you? decide to do that? Was that always the plan or did, was that something you had to like work through and figure out like we're going to use different voices
1: here? No, actually it was like so much of my writing. It kind of happened very organically and accidentally, but I'd actually written the middle chapter, DM Pradidi, probably two or three years after I sketched out those initial pool scenes. Um, mm. And But that was the first actually part of the book that was completed, that chapter. And I just wrote it in a new voice um I, I don't know why uh it just <laughs> it seemed right for the material, and I wasn't sure there were these uh, I don't want to spell it too much, but there were these two things that I wanted to write about in the novel. I wasn't sure how how I'd you know deal with these two things um but that middle chapter dm Perditi, seemed like the kind of middle still point of the novel. It's a kind of transitional chapter slash space, and I like i think for myself as a writer it keeps the material fresher when i continue uh using different voices or points of view i did that with my first novel also each chapter was told from a different character's point of view and it's just it's just livelier for me i think as a writer so maybe that's why i do it for myself first (laughs) It's also lively for the reader, too. Like, I was
0: like, wait, where are we? What's happening? I have to, like, re-plug back in. But how do you know if you're playing around with voice? How do you know when you've hit the right one? Like, does it just feel right to you? Or, or do you take it to other people? Or do you read it out loud? Or, like, how do you know that it's working?
1: I, I think I know when I've found usually the first sentence. Mm. Um, and once I have that sentence, it's, it's really, it gives me the voice. And then I'm often running, but I often really experiment a lot with, you know, trying to tell a story different ways with different voices until I finally hit upon the one that's right. But once I know that first line, once I've kind of nailed it, then I just go with it. I love this confidence. My gosh, it's incredible. (laughs) There's a lot of doubt (laughs) that comes along the way. Believe me. Um, But it it takes it could take months sometimes to arrive. At, at the right first line. Yeah. I mean, and your sentences, I can't even I can't tell you how many people I
0: text and was like, you have to read this book. These sentences are just like Delicious! They're the most perfect sentences ever. And I want to know, like, and I I have to be honest, I'm not really a sentence person. Like, I'm a reader. I'm not a writer. I don't usually notice if a sentence is great all the time. But for your book, I was like, oh, my God, these sentences are, like, doing things to me. So when you're writing it, do you know you have, like, great sentences? Or or are you reading them out loud? Are Are you editing them? Like, what does it look like to create Julie Otsuka? sentences?
1: Um, no, I I don't think I'm aware of when I've written a good sentence, but I do trust my ear. So Mm. I do know it's really very sonic. I think for me, I, I know when a sentence sounds right. I just know. Mm. I don't, it's like an internal editor. I just, I just know when something sounds right, but I I don't think about, I don't set out to intentionally write, I don't know, beautiful sentences. I just, I think each paragraph is kind of like a puzzle and all the mm. all, all the sentences have to fit together in the right way. And then everything has to sound right. So that is sort of my guide, I think, is what things sound like. Yeah. I love that because a lot of your sentences
0: are very beautiful, but a lot of them are perfect in how like sparse they are and how tight they are and how clear they are. And, and I feel like so many writers try to write beautiful things. And I'm like, it doesn't always have to be beautiful to be fantastic. It can just be like, clean, you know, like there's something (laughs) about like tightness that I, that really makes me excited as a reader. You were mentioned before you sort of wrote that third chapter and some of the early stuff at different times. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading this book, I sort of was like, oh, this feels a little like interconnected short stories because there's a lot of jumping around, not only in voice, but also in time and, and who we're focused on. And I'm wondering when you were putting this book together, did you know those separate pieces were going to go together? Did you approach it as you approached your previous novels or or was it a different kind of approach for you having these separate pieces that you created at separate points in time?
1: So I wrote that middle chapter to its end first after sketching out the first scenes of the pool chapters. But after I finished writing my last novel, I went back to those pool scenes and I, I started with the first chapter and I wrote it you know, from front to back
0: Mm.
1: in its entirety. And then after I wrote that, then I had the idea for the crack chapter, um, which was actually very fun to write. (laughs) Um, I kind of went to town with that. Um, And then I knew that after that would come D.M. Pradidi. And after that, I wasn't sure. I I don't want to say again too much, but I didn't know what the form of the next or the voice of the next two chapters would be. I sort of had a general idea, but I didn't really write those two chapters until I came to each one. Is that, how, how do
0: you come to it? Like if you, when you don't know, how do you figure out what to do?
1: Well, I knew the material that I wanted to deal with. I knew the place right. that I wanted to describe. So I just had like, a, you know, kind of a mass of details in my head and some, <laughs> you know, very loosely sketched out scenes. But I guess the problem was what voice to use, what was right. the best way. To put these scenes together in in which voice, and I did try several different voices for the penultimate chapter, and then the last chapter, I went back to the second person, so it's the same you know voice that was used in the third chapter, the you voice. Yes, which I also kind of fell in love with as well I'd, I'd never really used it. I don't think before in my writing, and it's maybe I'm gradually just kind of creeping up. To the first person, which I actually right. never <laughs> written in. It just seems like well, actually the the last chapter of my first novel was written in the in the first person, but it was a very different first person from myself. It was a, it was a male, older male voice. Right. Um, so, but I really did love the you voice. It was yeah. just a lot of fun. <laughs> It it it
0: really is fun. Like I don't. I keep smiling because it really is fun. And like this book gets into very serious topics, and somehow like with that you voice, you were able to find the playfulness in some of these things that are very far from I would say playful. And again, not trying to say too much, but some of this book is uh, connected to parts of your story and your family's story. And I'm wondering as a fiction writer, how you navigate how much of you and your family to put in and how much you're creating and and what that process feels like for you finding that balance.
1: I think that using the second person actually allowed me to have a little bit distance on myself and my own personal story. It somehow made it slightly other what I was writing about. I wasn't writing about myself. You know, I was, I was writing to a you so that already made it suddenly seem like fiction and something other. And you know, I used details from my own family's history, and then I inverted a lot of things. So I would right. never want someone to read this as you know as a memoir because um, right. I think I'd be horrified <laughs> because <Right. laughs> there, there's just so much in there that that has no resemblance to you know what happened in my own family's history. And then there are parts that are that, you know that that are very close to what happened to my family. But um, I think just the familial elements, they were just things to, they were just, you know, like sticks on the ground that I could use and perhaps build something and perhaps not. But I don't think I could ever really write nonfiction because I really just like embellishing and making things up. Mm. You're like, I don't want to fact check. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) I respect this
0: choice. (laughs) I want to talk about um, the pool Mm -hmm. and the swimmers, because obviously that's a part we can talk about. And I think on another interview, I heard you talk about as like the pool is sort of, you know, a metaphor for the world or the outside or whatever. And I'm sort of you know, this is kind of like a bigger question, but I'm curious, how can you negotiate your fictional pool, Julie's pool, and like the history of actual pools in America and like mm. the deep hostility and segregation in those places? And did you think about that? And did you play with that at all? Or how did that work for you?
1: Yes. No, I mean, I I know. I mean, I wanted to create a very democratic pool where all were welcome, mm. um, because I know that historically in this country, pools have not been democratic spaces at all. Um, Blacks were excluded from many, many public pools. Japanese Americans actually were excluded from, from many, many public pools in the years leading up to World War II. So they're historically very unfair spaces. But in my pool on the page, I want it all to be welcome. I intentionally never referred to the races of the swimmers in the pool. Um I think because race is something I've been writing about just for so, <laughs> so so long. Um I wanted I wanted it to be a space where there are people of different races, but you didn't necessarily know wh- who was what. And you might get a hint through, through some of the names um as to people's ethnicities, but I didn't want to lead with that. Um, mm. I think what I really loved about the pool is that it didn't matter who you were, it didn't matter what color you were, you know, outside of the pool it didn't matter what your class status was, what your job was. The only thing that mattered was, you know, whether or not you were a fast medium or slow swimmer <laughs> and your pool etiquette, right? Like not like <laughs> not goodness. touching people's th- like not being naughty
0: <laughs> in the pool. <laughs> I am not a swimmer, but I dated a swimmer in high school. My first boyfriend ever was oh, a swimmer. <laughs> and I like learned how to swim. And I obviously, as a person who's obsessed with talking, I despise swimming.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I was a little nervous picking up this book. I was like, I'm gonna hate this. Swimmers like, no, thank you. But it's less to do with swimming than I thought. So I was very grateful for that. Um yeah. I mean, I think this like location of the pool and, and I, you know, I've heard people talk about this book um, in a lot of different ways and talk about the crack and COVID and all of these things. Did your relationship or understanding of your pool and your crack and all of that stuff, did any of that sort of change from when you started writing this book or sections of this book years and years ago to when you sort of like turned the book in and we're in the midst of this pandemic and a crack in the society. And like all of a sudden it feels like very on the nose in ways, you know?
1: Yeah. I finished writing the crack chapter, you know, before COVID hit. And I actually didn't go back and do a lot of rewriting. Um, Mm. The one chapter that I did write, it was during the first year of the pandemic um, was the last chapter. So that kind of came together during a very different time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't, know. I didn't go back and adjust some of the crack details to fit with what was going on, you know, but in the did it present. change? Did it change for you,
0: like, how you thought about your audience or, like, how they might understand the book? Like, did you ever think about what COVID would do to the work that you'd done pre-COVID in this book?
1: You no, know, not really. I mean, I knew that the crack would be, it could be read as a metaphor for many things, you know, it could be you know, a bad diagnosis or uh, it could be read as as COVID. It it could be many, many things. But um, no, I think I just really thought of it as being first like a physical crack in the world, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm so funny when I, I mean, I, again, I'm not a huge fiction person and I'm, I don't, I think that I'm not a very good fiction reader, to be honest. Like I'm not, I don't do like the English class thing where I like come up with metaphors and all this stuff. And (laughs) I, it didn't, it never dawned on me that the crack was a metaphor. Like I just took the crack at face value. This is a terrifying thing. (laughs) And then I was like listening to other people talk about it. And I was like, wow, I have failed because of course, sure, this could be a metaphor for, you know, things outside the pool but also things that happen later in the book and I felt like a real dum dumb. So no, I think
1: I I think <laughs> no, I think I actually think very literally when I'm you know when I'm making up my stories. I don't think metaphorically at all. Um although many readers you know they'll mention they'll ask about symbolism in my books and none of that's intentional. But I think hmm. that whatever a reader brings to a story is true and correct for that reader. Um but You know, I don't really know any authors who go through and plant symbols, you know, in their stories. You don't think? think? No, I think they really arise out of our unconscious. I think that they're real and that they're there, but I think it's Mm -hmm. something that we arrive at, you know, again, organically and unconsciously. I love that idea because it makes me feel way better about my ability as a (laughs)
0: reader. You're giving me some of your confidence. I appreciate this. Where did you get the idea for this book? Like you said it came to you, but like,
1: how, how did you do this? <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, so you grew up in California, right? Yes, but in, yes. in Northern California. Where I grew the, up in Northern California. So the, 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 the seawater there is right. It's too cold to swim in. So mm-hmm. I did grow up, you know, for nine years in Southern California and I was, I just spent a lot of time at the beach. So I've always loved being in the water. And then when I moved to New York, which is where I've lived practically all of my adult life, I did begin swimming in a neighborhood recreational pool and I was just fascinated by the world there. (laughs) And despite, you know, just the oddities of the people who swam there and the, you know, the, the groups that formed over the years and um, the women in the locker room, you know, I'm still in, I I no longer swim, but I'm still in touch with some of the the pool ladies as I like to call Mm -hmm. them. And um, you know, you learn something about people when you see them, you know, Every day, <laughs> right, right over right, right, the right. course of years, um, you get to know them in a, in a kind of very special and unusual way. Um, and and also, all these people had one shared passion, which was swimming. And there were many of them were very, very you know, kind of fanatic about it as well. Yeah, <laughs> swimmers. <laughs> I have so many thoughts about you all. Do you do you still swim? No, no, um, I have not swum for many, many years. I, I I'm I'm actually about to go back to the gym for the first time in two years, I think on Friday. So I'm a little wow. nervous, but, um, no, I switched my workout to on land just with the machines and the stationary okay. bike. I just felt it was a better workout, um, for me personally, but, um, and I always thought I would miss the pool, but I don't know. Once I got out, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still have not been back to the gym
0: myself. I have oh, a Peloton, you- which you can see. So I do that. I bad. can
1: see it. I'm jealous. All right. So yeah. or do you miss it or the... So no, I used to teach spin. fitness mm-hmm. classes.
0: I used to teach spin. And so oh, I wow. miss a lot of what goes into that, like uh-huh. the teaching and the classes and the community and all of that. But I don't miss working out as much as I used to work out. <laughs> 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 I'm so, sort of happy not doing it so much. But I do like I miss the communal aspect for sure. Because mm-hmm. there it's it has its own rhythms, like you're saying, and there's a there is some sort of like of a democratic system and it has less to do, and I live in LA and i and you know, Southern California, LA is very like social hierarchical. It's about who's the producer on this thing or who knows so and so, but in the spin studio, it's really not about that. And so (laughs) I, and like, I got to know really cool, interesting people who outside of that space would have been like you peasant girl, you know, So so (laughs) I miss some of that stuff, but not so much the actual going to the gym. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I do want to. I, I kind of tease this. I think in the beginning, or maybe this was before we got on. But this book has a major shift from the beginning, which is about the pool that we've talked about, and to the things that we're not we, that we shall not name. And I'm wondering how important that sort of element of surprise or change or or that switch was to you in writing it, and how important it was that you surprise your audience or that you that you you know. Change their expectations sort of mid book. Um, I know that the character who we spend a lot of time with does present themselves on the first page of the book, so mm-hmm. I so I know that she's there. But I'm just wondering, like as an author, how concerned are you with changing expectations for your audience?
1: I mean, I, I love the element of surprise as a reader and and mm-hmm. as a writer. And I knew that this character whom we see, you know, in the very first paragraph is there, but very peripherally in the beginning. So I, I didn't want the reader necessarily to know that it was going to end up being this person's story, but I knew where I, where I wanted to go. And you know, it, it, I knew that it also kind of seemed like a, a kind of radical, wacky structure and that it might not appeal to some people. Some people might get very comfortable in the pool and want to stay there, you know, throughout the entire book. And I'm sorry um, <laughs> um, if people are disappointed. And then other readers, I think have really wished that they could have just lived the, you know, in the entire second half of the book and didn't really care so much for the pool scene. So some kind of seems to be a mix, but um, no, I, I like, I like the kind of radical shift. Um, and just like when I'm watching, you know, like if I watch a movie, I like not knowing what's going to happen. Same. So, and do you hate spoilers too? Cause I despise a spoiler. Yeah. I try not to read too much about it. If I'm going to watch a film, I try not to read too much about it um, yeah. or try to read actually nothing about it. So I just go in cold. Yeah. I've stopped reading book jackets
0: for this reason. I'll read mm. the first paragraph maybe if I'm like trying to decide if I want to do something on the show, but otherwise I'm like, no, thank you. Um, which was sort of what was great about your book is so many people that I really respected were like, I don't know if you're going to like this book, but I think you should read it. And it's so short. So even if you hate it, it's really good. It's well written. And I was like, okay, I have a little extra time. Like, let me just pick this book up. And then the minute I finished it, I immediately reached out to your team and was like, please, 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 please make this happen for So what
1: do you normally read?
0: I love nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I just love nonfiction. I love a Mm -hmm. memoir. I love investigative journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I liked so much about your book, and I think that people who, you know, like, who so many people I've been gushing about it are like, you liked a novel. And I think what it was for me is that it feels like real life. It doesn't feel fantastical. It doesn't even feel like heightened, even though it is with the different voices. It feels like, a world that we live in it feels like a place that i know it feels like people that i know and for me that grounding in fiction is usually the thing that allows me in if i'm mm-hmm. like trying to figure out a lot i'm like i can't do it i hate it here there's too <laughs> much you know and and this book was just so well again i know it's fiction the people in the book felt very real to me and like they could be people that I could know. And, and I just I just love, love, love that idea. I do want to talk for a second about the cover. And I'm sure you don't design your covers and all those things, but your first two books are very similar looking. And this book looks very different and it's all the same publisher. So I'm wondering if you had any say in that, if you were interested in that part of it. I know you have a background in art. So I'm just curious sort of about the cover of, of The Swimmers.
1: Oh yeah, no, I'm obsessed with covers. <laughs> I think they're really important, actually. I do too. <laughs> um, yeah, you do. Yeah, no, it really. Um, and, and plus, I have you know, my background is in painting and sculpture, so that's kind of how I was trained. So, I rely a lot on my eye. There was actually an earlier version of the cover that I really, really loved. Um, but it was, it was a really kind of way out there cover it was was kind of yellow and um you saw these you know different kind of swimmers they almost look like kind of aliens just kind of all swimming together towards the surface but it was this bright bright yellow which i just thought was kind of great but in the end we decided not to go with that and i i love the final cover there was a there's just a lot of tweaking of every little detail. What the swimmers look like, you know. Um, <laughs> Looking at my copy right now. Yeah, yeah. A lot of thought went into that cover, but I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy with the final product. I, actually, I just saw the. Uh, French cover and it's completely different, but I love it. It's, it's, com- it's very, very kind of graphic. It's, you know, it does not rely on photographs and it's, um, it's a lot of fun, um but it's different. It's, you know, it's kind of fun to see how somebody else conceives of, you know, a cover for the same, the exact same book. Um, But I think that the um, publisher wanted to keep the size of this book. The ex- It has the exact same dimensions as my first two novels. And I think very similar font. So, th- so they want to keep the look the same. But yeah. Um, but yeah, the cover is very different. And, and I'm glad. I think yeah, just a little bit lighter. Yeah, I, I love it. It's
0: really eye-catching. And I agree. I think covers are so important. And anyone who says don't judge a book by a cover is wrong. I think that you do. You Even if you shouldn't, you do. Oh, and we so have covers eyes, should, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you are a seeing person, like you're going to, so why not make it a gorgeous thing, a thing that people are yeah, interested in? Yeah. And especially,
1: you know, we see things now all on screen. So you know, covers, I think, are maybe even more important than they were before. It's not like people yeah. are walking into bookstores as much. Right, 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 right. That's such a good point.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. And we're back. I didn't ask you this before, but I am curious what part of
1: this book
0: came easily to you and what part of writing this book was the most difficult?
1: I think the pool chapters were the easiest and the most fun to write. They were just these wonderful wild worlds I wanted to really pardon the metaphor, but just dip into um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> bad, bad. Um, we love it. We love a bad fun. <laughs> and the last chapter I think was probably the most difficult to write. I didn't know for a long time, like how I was going to approach that um, or what voice to use. And it was just, it was tough material too. And and yet it was probably at the same time, the most satisfying to write. So it was the most mm-hmm. difficult, you know, s- material wise. Also conceptually, it was the most difficult to conceptualize. But once I had the idea, then, you know, I just began to write. And then it actually, for me, it came together fairly quickly. Like it took about a year, I think that during the first year that pen, and for me, that's, that's just you know, like lightning speed. Um. <laughs> How long did it take you to write your other books? My first novel, I think it took six years. And the okay. second one, it was eight or nine. Um, okay, got it. And this one took even longer. And I don't know why. They're all about the same length, actually. Okay. It seems to be my just my natural length. I, I, I don't know why. I love. I always aim to write longer, but I seem to be a, I don't
0: know. No, a, a don't parab- ever
1: write longer. I love a short book. <laughs> okay. Short, short books.
0: Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why, for the last are, it's just, it's such a treat. Leave them wanting more people. If I could, (laughs) if I could slash a hundred pages from every book over 300 pages, I would, no problem. I, it's just, it's such a, it's just such an enjoyable experience to read a short book for me. I don't know. Do you,
1: like, how do you know when you're done? Do you know, does it feel complete to you? Mm -hmm. I think I know immediately when I'm done. I I don't usually have any qualms. I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is it. But it could take, a long time. I think for the last chapter, it was, I guess it was a question of finding the last scene, you know, Mm. because the last scene is sort of a flashback. It was, you know, and I, I'm sure that last scene was placed elsewhere along the way. Um, Mm. It probably wasn't at the very end initially. Um, It was probably where it, you know, could have been chronologically. Um, But then once I saw, well, just pop this to the very end, I thought, oh, that's the perfect ending. That's the note that I want to end it. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that was it. I love. Okay, I want to talk to you about
0: how you write logistically. Mm-hmm. Um I saw on your website that it says every afternoon you write in your neighborhood cafe. Is this still true?
1: No, sadly, I I stopped <laughs> going to the cafe when the pandemic started. So right. it's another space that I thought I would really really miss like the pool, you know. Mm-hmm. And I do really miss it and yet I you know, I never I didn't know if I was if I'd be able to write at home in my apartment, but but I was. But um I'm really dying to get back at this point, but I just don't feel like going into an indoor space, you know, that's crowded yet. So, (laughs) Um, but no, I wrote my first two novels in this cafe and I'm very attached to the family that runs the cafe. You know, I've known just regulars from the neighborhood, you know, for 20 years plus some of us have been Mm. going there and it's just a really, really special place. Um, And what's your order when you go? Oh, it's gotten more and more boring over the years. (laughs) I started out with a croissant and I think a black coffee. And then at some point, I think I switched to, there was a sandwich store that opened up next door, you know, run by the same owners. And I would just have wheat toast with butter and then coffee. And then towards the end, I was just, I had pared it down to ginger tea. Um, (laughs) So I think it just got duller and duller my order as the years went on. Yeah. But I love, oh, I just, I really do love writing in public spaces. I love just the kind of energy that you feel, you know, I have, you know, favorite table sharing buddies and yeah. <laughs> I have one friend that she would always save a seat for me. And she texts me around the same time. She'd say, are you coming? Cause this guy just left and I'll save your seat for you if you want me oh. to. And um, and I walk in and there it would be. So I miss all that. And I just miss, you know, serendipity and meeting people you wouldn't otherwise meet. And I, I miss Overhearing weird snatches of dialogue, you know, that you can copy down in your notebook and maybe use at some future point in a story. (laughs) (laughs) And just, you know, the clatter of dishes and, you know, glasses and just the hum of voices. I just, I found it to be like a very kind of calming Zen place, although it was often just frenetic and really crowded. And, but I loved all that. It just, I love that it was, it was about, it was just kind of about being a space that was really beyond my control, whatever happened, happened. Yeah. Oh, I miss cafes
0: too. Don't feel <laughs> badly about not wanting to go to crowded indoor spaces. I still am not doing that. You're
1: anymore. not. You've been very no. careful this whole time.
0: Yeah. I have small children and they're not mm-hmm. old enough to get vaccinated. So that oh, is a yep. very, yep. you know, very... A strong deterrent. Yep. But I also am just a nervous person and mm-hmm. I don't like risk. And so for me, it's like, I don't need, and I live in LA, it's not cold here. Like I can go, it can be outside and still, yep. you know, socialize. So for me, it's just a no. Yep. <laughs> it's a hard no. Okay. So you're not obviously going to cafes right now. How are you writing at home? What's your setup there? Are you having your coffee and toast? Are you drinking your ginger <laughs> tea? We love snacks and beverages on this podcast. So please indulge. Do you listen to music? Do you like put on ambient sound? How are you? How are you creating at home?
1: I so I don't know if you can see. I just taped up this paper to my wall. So I've got like. I got like, all these. Oh, notes yeah, 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 All oh, over. Wow. And oh, I did that very. Ho- it's very homeland. <laughs> <laughs> So I have other walls too that just have a lot of notes on them. So I think because I'm very visual, I just I like being able to see stuff and I can rearrange things and I'll write something down that I, you know, that I'll later run across that I forgot, you know, I, I've forgotten that I'd ever written that note and it will just see, oh yeah, that would actually be a good scene. Why don't I write that scene today? So that's something that I I did I, I've been doing more recently, I think the walls. Um so I don't know, it kind of looks like Like the home of a crazy person. Yes, we love this for you. (laughs) It's all over the walls, but it's my space. So um, this is what I'm doing with it. Maybe I should just put up a whiteboard or something, but um, I can't really commit to that yet. But um... (laughs) do you do you
0: have snacks and beverages at home?
1: Yeah, no, I I don't really have a routine that much anymore. I mean, I have like my, you know, my meals that I eat and then I snack a lot in between, you know, Um, a lot of nuts um, Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of fruit but it's a little again i'm not like well i don't really cook so you know it's a little bland <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that i can find in my own apartment it's not the same as just like going to the cafe and ordering a pastry if i feel like it yeah um so you know now it's like Coffee with a little bit of soy, a lot of soy milk, actually. Okay. Um, and that'll keep me going for a while. But I can't, I mean, I used to be able to drink like five or six cups of coffee when I was younger, but I just can't do that now anymore. Um, so I miss that. But that just kind of continual buzz, that was just great, I think. Um, <laughs> maybe that's why it didn't take me as long to write my first two novels. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm curious. So we talked. We touched on this earlier. Your background as a painter and a sculptor. How do you feel like that informs your writing and your approach to writing and the way that you think about writing? Because I feel like, you know, that's a really different way to create or, or a different. It's different. And so I'm wondering how it informs the work that you do.
1: I think it does. It's hard for me to know exactly how, but I feel like I really learned how to see the world at first as a sculptor and. Um, I've told this anecdote before, but the first thing that we ever learned to look at and sculpt um, before doing like our first head, you know, was a, a cow femur bone, which is just this really abstract, beautiful, beautiful thing. And you have no preconceived idea of what it should look like. You're just looking at these lines and how they move through space. You know, it's, very, it's just very abstract. And that's, I think it's kind of how I go about my, I just look at something like a little dumbly, you know, just like. I just kind of look at it and try to figure out what it is, you know, and, and just okay, what what am I actually seeing here? What am I actually trying to describe? And and so I think I I hope I hope I kind of keep that way of thinking, you know, towards whatever it is that I'm approaching for the first time, but I like that element of something new. Um, I like to deal with new subject matter with each book. I don't like to repeat myself, but I think I did learn from painting just about the discipline of putting in the hours at the studio every day. And then when you sketch, I would sketch out very loosely on a canvas, a scene, and then just try to bring up the details simultaneously and not fixate on any one detail. And that's my same strategy for writing a paragraph. I'll just sketch out, you know, the sentences loosely and then just kind of gradually bring everything into focus. Kind of it's, I guess it's a very overall way of working. Hmm. So I do, so I do, I do feel like I am printed as an artist, you know, on the visual world. That was my way of learning how to look. And I feel like a lot of my writing is also about looking and just seeing. How did you make the switch? How did you know you wanted to write? Failure. I, I, <laughs> I, um, I all throughout my 20s, I, I started a graduate program in painting in Bloomington, Indiana, and I dropped out after a couple months. I just I couldn't handle the pressure of having to produce for a a critique and I moved to New York and then I thought oh, that's it I'm done with painting but I got very you know I really started to miss painting again so I enrolled at the New York Studio School for a couple of years down on 8th Street in the village and and then I just at a certain point I, I hit this wall I, I think that I had an idea of the kind of the kinds of paintings that I wanted to make I could see them in my head but I just wasn't technically capable of executing mm. what I was seeing in my mind um so when I stopped painting I began going to my neighborhood cafe <laughs> and I just began reading a lot of contemporary fiction for solace. Cause I was just so bummed out that I just failed at this one thing that I'd always wanted to do. And I just found like, I love stories. I just love being immersed in other people's stories. And then after a couple of years of just really reading, I just began to tentatively try my hand at writing. And I just found like it, it just came to me for whatever reason, much more easily, I think than painting did. I think I'm just, I'm more comfortable with the medium of words than with paint. And with words, you can always, what I hated about painting is that I have these gorgeous first drafts on on the canvas. And then, but you can't just stop there. You have to paint and you have to continue painting and I would just lose them. But with, with writing, you can always save, you know, your notes for the first draft. You can have as many draft copies as you want. And like, I can always go back and because often the first draft is the freshest in a way it's when you just, you know, you've just gotten this idea And things are very kind of immediate and you're kind of going to the heart of what it is that you might eventually, you know, end up saying, but you might not know it yet. But there's a seed there that and so you never really lose that if you're if you're working, you know, on a computer. Um, Right. Right. So I
0: I love I love this story because I am a failed artist of another kind. Before what kind? I was an actress and a dancer uh, my whole life. Yeah, I went to NYU. I studied acting. And then I wasn't that good. I don't know. I just wasn't. Did you know
1: that you weren't that good or like, when did you know. know? I
0: I think I realized I wasn't that good when I had friends in college who were just so good. You know, mm. you can see ta- like I just had friends and I was like I'd much rather watch you do things than me try cuz I'm not as good as you. And so I I and I always knew I wasn't the best dancer. Uh, but I'm. I was always a very good performer. Like I'm not as good in rehearsal. I'm really good on stage. You know, like I can uh-huh. I can hit the right note when it when it needs to happen. But I couldn't quite figure out what the thing was. Not that podcasting is quite the same art as you know theater or dance, or at least not as long established. And there's not as much training and things like that. But it definitely is a shift from what I was trained to do, though similar, more similar, I think, than sculpting and writing, perhaps, but maybe not. Oh, that um, it seems
1: very different to me, even more different. It than- doesn't. Yeah. Oh, it does. Oh, wow. Yeah, going from the physical. I mean, it's just so very physical, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. Did you continue to try to act and dance for many many years before you stopped, or no? No. So I stopped dancing first. I Mm -hmm. was an
0: I was an actress um, and dancer in high school. When I went to college, I had to commit to either dancing or acting. So I committed to acting because I thought, well, I my body might fail me at some point, but I could still be an actor, you know. So I was like, let me do like the practical thing, Um, and I can always take dance class wherever I am. I can take a dance class. I don't know if I need a degree in dance. And then I, you know, ended up working more professionally in the dance world. I did. A lot of choreography and things like that. And then when I moved to LA, funny enough, I was like, I don't want to be an actor anymore. Like I'm not good <laughs> at it. I don't, I just don't like it here. And so I sort of just, just stopped both within a, within a little Bit of each other, and then this podcasting came totally just like had an idea, and I like listening to podcasts, and I just kind of tried it, and it and it and it worked, I guess. <laughs> and you were just a natural, right?
1: I think like so. Are.
0: Yeah, it just it works for me. I'm a curious person, and so I think like this interview style. I don't think I could do those like you know serial podcasts where it's like you write out a whole thing and you tell the story in that way. I, I, that's not my skill set. But asking questions and talking to people, I've always loved. And I'm, and you know, if I have someone on the show, it's because I'm curious in their work or I'm curious in their story. And so it's right. easy to be enthusiastic about it because it's genuine. Like, I never have people on where I hate the book and I don't care about the person. Like, it's just uh-huh. not fun, <laughs> you know? Um, which is sort of like what you're saying about writing is like, you are not interested in saying the same thing over and over. You're looking to tell these different stories. And like, it's whatever sparks something in you that you want to spend time with.
1: Right. Um, and I don't, I mean, do you miss acting sometimes. sometimes. I don't yeah. miss
0: acting. I miss dancing. I love dancing and I still dance a lot. Like I love dancing. Um, and I miss sometimes like being in the theater because podcasting is very solitary and theater is so collaborative. So I definitely miss that part of it, but I don't, I don't miss like memorizing lines. God, no, uh, I don't. Um, and I and I love reading. And so because my podcasting allows me to do something else that I love to do, you know, I was reading as an actor, but just in different ways. So I don't, I don't miss it. No. And I, yeah. and I also love that I can now go and support other actors without any sense of, like, jealousy. Like, I get to go see mm-hmm. my friends on mm-hmm. Broadway and be like, you are the greatest actor that ever lived. And, like, <laughs> I didn't audition for this part also, so I don't hate myself a little bit, too, you know?
1: <laughs> oh, it sounds like a hard world, I think, the world of acting. It sounds, it sounds much harder, actually, than the, world of, than, than, than the world of writing. It just sounds – it just something really cut You think? I, think? I think writing so. sounds
0: yeah. – oh, yeah, writing's a little more collaborative. Like, not collaborative, but communal. Like writers support each other
1: a little bit more. I yeah. Think. I mean, I think, I mean, I can't really, I mean, I don't know what actors are like, but yeah, it just seems like it's just really hard. It was, I think it just, it just me. I mean, I, mean, I just, think isn't
0: painting really hard. That is a really hard role too. visual. But you art. don't have
1: to go like audition, you know? I mean, that just That's seems true. like the scariest thing now painting. I mean, I love, I love being just alone in my studio, but at a certain point you have to show, you know, you can't just, you know, right. you, you have to do you still stuff. paint? No, I can't even casually sketch or anything. Um, wow. and, I, and I don't, you know, I don't feel the desire to, um, but I love, I still love looking at paintings. It still just gives me a lot of pleasure. And that's enough, you know, for, yeah. I, I think, but I've, I think I've always just loved reading. You know, and now I kind of get to do something that's very, very related to reading. I feel like you and I have a similar but different path. We both love reading and do something
0: related to reading now. So what about
1: anxiety dreams? Like I, I, for a long time, I would have anxiety dreams and it wasn't about a blank page. It was about like a blank canvas. It was like, oh no. Mm. (laughs) Do you have anxiety dreams about like auditioning or? I used to. I don't anymore.
0: I have Um, anxiety, real life anxiety about a lot of things. Um, And usually all of my like anxiety dreams are first day of school dreams. Oh, that's Even now still, they always were as a kid and they are even now still like I have this first day, this first thing is coming and I'm terrified and I'm unprepared, which is of course my nightmare.
1: That's Being unprepared.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But not so much about like being in the theater. I don't have dreams about that so much. But I did used to have, like, I forgot my line, dreams, and those types of things. Going up on a line is really not fun.
1: Uh, You're so exposed. I I mean, you're not – I mean, as a writer, as a painter, as a sculptor, you're just – you're doing it in private. I mean, nobody's really watching, so. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so true. I I studied Shakespeare and – one of my best friends who is a now a three-time Tony nominee. So it's mm-hmm. fine. He's fine. We were doing Richard Third, and he totally went up on a line. And with Shakespeare, it's hard to fake your way out because it's, you know, iambic pentameter and it's it's older English and all this stuff. And he just turned to the other woman on stage, reached his hand out and goes, you need to go find Haystack's. <laughs> Literally not the line, just in plain American English. <laughs> just like such a great moment. So- you know, it happens. But he, again, he's a three-time Tony nominee. He's fine now. He's, he's doing great. Uh- <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Okay. Wait, I have to ask you this question. This is like one of my favorite and most important questions. Mm-hmm. I got to get everybody on the record on this. What is a word you can never spell correctly on the first try?
1: Oh, um, gee, I don't, I mean, accommodate. Oh, <sighs> so hard. It's all and the consonants. Two C's or two M's. I don't really know. Um, I don't know either. I, I always forget. I think there's one of one and two of the other, or maybe maybe two of both, but I can never really remember.
0: I, I thought there could be two Ds, so I'm glad that you've narrowed it down for me. <laughs> Um, okay. I heard you on the, on your New York times interview and you sort of casually mentioned that there was something that you were working on that was very different. Mm-hmm. And can you share any of that information with my audience? And also you can fully say, absolutely not.
1: And yeah. uh, not really. All I can say is that I'm using the you voice, this, okay. you know, the second person, that's all I can really say. It's way too early. And I have this thing that I call like being inside the egg. So I don't like to talk too much about Something that I'm working on. I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like course. in this protected womb-like space. It of sounds course, like, sounds so woo-woo. But um, and once I'm out, you know, once something's finished, once I'm out of the egg, then uh, you can people can say whatever they want. It's fine. People can criticize. I'm totally fine with it. I'm open to suggestions. But while I'm in the middle of something, I keep it to myself. So yeah, but it it is that voice that I've kind of newly fallen for
0: the, well, the second I- person.
1: I will wait patiently
0: for whatever it is, stay in your egg as long as you need to make it the perfect thing. I totally respect that. I always ask that question when I have a sense that they're working on something or people are working on something, but I also fully respect the privacy of the creativity because it's so, some people care a lot and that's super important to protect. I am, I'm that way too. So as far as the swimmers go, who is the coolest person you've heard of or heard from or connected with who read the book or liked the book or reached out to
1: you? Oh, I don't know about cool. Hmm.
0: Well, that's coolest subjective to you, whatever cool means to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had some really just sweet emails from just like regular ordinary swimmers, many of them older who are dealing with the thing that's dealt with in the second half of the novel. Got it. The thing that shall not be mentioned. And I I love hearing from those folks, you know, they're just Mm. like, they're just people on the planet, you know, who love to, who love to swim. And for whatever reason, the novel has struck a chord with them. So it's kind of (laughs) great.
0: I have a hunch that the reason it struck a chord with them is because it's brilliant, but that's just my guess. I don't know. I can't (laughs) say for sure. Um, I'm so curious how you'll answer this question. For Mm -hmm. people who like, love, adore The Swimmers, what, other book would you recommend to them that's maybe in conversation with what you've done?
1: Oh boy. I wasn't even, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking of other books. This, this book just kind of just seems so weird. And it seemed to kind of, it kind of came out of nowhere and I, I can't, <laughs> it's not even like other books that I can think about. I can't really come up with a quick answer. I don't really know.
0: This was my big fear because I also cannot compare it to anything that I've ever read. But I was hoping you would be like, "Oh, it's sort of in conversation with." Okay,
1: sorry, well, everyone. You know, a friend, like a, <laughs> a, a like a college roommate, was saying it. it kind of, she read, I think it was Patricia Lockwood's novel. It also has these two halves, and and oh. the second half is very personal. But I haven't read it. Um, okay. So, so obviously, I'm, I wasn't in a conversation right. with it because I right. hadn't read it, but <laughs> I, <laughs> but she said it, it kind of seems similar. The, the two books kind of seem similar. But um, Okay. Well, everybody,
0: sometimes it's nice to read something that's unlike anything else, um, I, I think. I, just so refreshing. Okay. I have only two more questions for you. One mm-hmm. is, what do you hope that people will keep in mind as they read your book?
1: I think, like, the importance of community. I feel like that's mm-hmm. something that I really, really miss, you know, mm-hmm. during, like, now as we're entering like year three of the pandemic. And um, I mean, all the spaces that I've mentioned in, in, in this interview, the two spaces, like the cafe and the pool are these communal spaces. And I feel like mm-hmm. in some way they just save us, you know, but um, I don't know when I'm going to get, you know, when <laughs> I'll get back to, to either of those spaces personally. But yeah, I love that people, you know, at the pool kind of watched out for each other And that was my experience of, you know, the pool and, you know, in my real life as well. So the the women that I got to know in a locker room, people just were just, you know, they were watching out for each other. And I like that. Um, And also just, I guess I would hope that readers would just take away sort of like just the sheer joy of being a body in water, you know, just Mm. the sheer physicality of it all. Yeah. I love
0: that. Okay. Last question. If you could have one person dead or alive read The Swimmers, who would you want it to
1: be? Oh, um i mean this is probably giving away too much but maybe my mother who's yeah. she died a few years ago but um maybe her but i and again i can't really say more than that yeah, yeah. we won't say more okay
0: everyone this is Julie otsuka she's the author of my favorite novel of the year so far, The Swimmers. I don't know if anything's going to top it. It was such a sheer, wonderful experience as a reader. Um, Thank you so much for being here, Julie. Tracy, thank you. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, good. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all. That does it for us today. Thank you again to Julie for being my guest. And thank you to Josie Calls for making this interview possible. Remember the Stacks book club pick for April is Doppelgang Banger by Courtney Lamar Charleston. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, April 27th with Mate Marshall. If you love the show and want inside access to it, please head to patreon.com slash the Stacks to join the Stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, at The Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, TheStacksPodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas, and production assistance came from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tigurigis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy
1: Thomas.